0: Look, more showers and a few thunderstorms in the next couple of days. Temperature at the observatory, 30 degrees Celsius, some 74% relative humidity. And that's the news from RTHK.
1: Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Paul Zimmerman. On today's programme, we're looking at the tragic end to a rare visit from a baleen whale in the seas around Saikung and if anything can be done to save other whales from a similar fate in future. A necropsy is underway to determine the cause of death of the whale that had captured the public imagination and, unfortunately, hordes of boats carrying curious onlookers.
2: Experts say that fresh wounds on the mammal's back could will indicate boat strikes and that may have cost the whale its life. So what can we learn from this incident? Should more be done to educate the public to respect marine life? Is this a wake-up call for the government to review? its whale watching regulations?
1: After 9.45 we'll get a reaction from a cybersecurity expert on the significant drop in email phishing cases and what does it mean? Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 Now joining our discussion this morning we have on the line David Baker Associate Professor of the University of Hong Kong School of Biological Sciences and Lobby Howe, Assistant Manager of Ocean Sustainability at WWF Hong Kong. We will also be joined in a moment by Janet Walker, spokesperson for Hong Kong Dolphin Watch. Good morning, uh, Professor Baker. Good morning. And good morning, uh, Mr. Howe. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So uh, let's start with you, Dr. Howe. What do you think uh, we can learn from this whole debacle?
3: Yeah, actually, first of all, for this incident, we are definitely sad, and it is very pitiful for the death of this whale, and we lost this really great uh, gigantic marine mammals that can be rarely seen in Hong Kong. We see this. Can be also a great opportunity for this whole society, for Hong Kong people, for us, for the government to learn to respect the large marine animals that happens in Hong Kong and also to respect their habitats and their living spaces. And this could be a great opportunity to uh, urge the government to create effective and prompt strategies and protocols between departments and coordinated between these departments to address and can be triggered timely to uh, address similar situation. And we also think this could be a good um, chance to improve cetacean conservation, including dolphins and whales with better marine spatial planning in Hong Kong so we can protect them better in Hong Kong in the long run.
1: All right. And uh, Professor Baker, I mean, what's your view? I mean, Dr. Hao suggesting that, that uh, this can be a great opportunity for us to learn to respect uh, marine mammals here. Um, In your view, could this tragedy have been prevented?
4: Thanks. Um, Well, first of all, I I echo what Dr. Howe said. I think that um, it is a great opportunity indeed to reflect on how we can improve. I think another point of optimism is the fact that the story of the whale was indeed a happy Hong Kong story for a brief time and we saw that pretty much everyone in the city was united in celebrating the visitation of this incredible uh, marine life, and it brings a better attention to the fact that Hong Kong is an incredibly biodiverse place, uh, not only within China, but within the planet. So, we have a real opportunity here to improve the conditions for marine species to enjoy our local waters, even if temporarily. Um, could this situation have been prevented? Well, I think it's obvious that, yes, it, it could have been prevented with... With better education, uh, with uh, better regulation, and that's really what I think we need to work with government to help improve.
2: Is, is what? What was the problem here? Was the whale sick and uh, came into Hong Kong, or was the whale healthy and was to, was having some fun um, and um, and hang about?
4: Well, I personally am not a cetacean expert, mm-hmm. um, but as a marine scientist with a lot of cetacean expert friends. I can reflect that my personal opinion and their opinion was that actually the whale seemed quite healthy when it was first arriving in Hong Kong. Yes, it did have um, some apparent scars on its back, but they mostly seemed to be healed over, so they must have happened some time ago. Uh, And then apparently there's been some subsequent injuries that occurred over the last week or so, but we need to wait to understand the results of the necropsy. Um, But in the meantime, my opinion was that the whale that was here was reflecting normal whale behavior Um, that's that um, method of feeding where they open up their mouth at the surface and allow fish to jump in is is common for the species and it indicates that the whale was actually very healthy at the time that we first observed it
2: but the whale is was on its way to from one place to another it was migrating and and made a stopover I mean why, why was it here in Hong Kong
4: well, the Bruder's whale, in particular is not terribly uncommon in Hong Kong. I remember some ten years ago there was a a dead whale of the same species that was beached somewhere in Sai kong so this means that uh, the species is not uncommon to our local waters and as you pointed out they are i mean most baleen whales are migratory to some degree, so they're always on the move in search of food um, so yes, I think we can we can consider it a a brief visitation to Hong Kong, where it was enjoying some of the bounties of our recovering fisheries, which is another <laughs> positive angle to this story, that we've had this incredible trawl ban since 2013, and many people in the public have been reporting that marine life is rebounding. And, and that means that we're going to have larger marine life that's coming back to local waters to, to take advantage of the of the buffet.
2: L- Luby, I mean, WWS has, has looked at marine spatial planning in, in other uh, water bodies like uh, the Baltic Sea and other areas. Is, is this something that you're going to recommend for Hong Kong and, and we're going to be more definitive about what different parts of Hong Kong's waters can be used for?
3: yeah yes definitely yeah so as you mentioned it's actually uh marine protected area is uh kind of advocated around the world and in in an internationally advocated standard we are looking for 30 percent of the waters to be protected by 2030 so but by now in hong kong is just about five percent of hong kong waters designated or plans to be marine protected area so from this incident we can also see that it's important to uh, go for more and look for more marine protected areas in hong kong for example the area which the whale uh, be active this time. The pot shelter area is uh, very important, and also we would say that it's a priority prioritized area because it's one of the important nursery ground for many local fish species. That could be uh, beneficial to the um, more cetacean fishes, or even for the recovery of their key food sources, and also good for the fisheries. sure. And but then, so,
2: so do I understand then, then, if we're going to do that, we're going to have more fish uh, in, in the area and then we're going to have more visitation by uh, uh, large marine uh, uh, life. And so uh, you we're know, we going to create more of these situations that we just had where people will come out and want to watch the whale or want to watch the shark or, um, you know, th- so, so we're going to attract more of that. We're we going to create more of these potential conflict situations.
3: Mm. Um, if we are uh, trying to, uh, we are looking for or looking uh, forward to more visits of the large marine animals, of course, um, that could be uh, a good thing, but at the same time, we also have to uh, do more education so that to prevent, to avoid the situation that you mentioned that may create more. Uh, uh, Conflicts between the whale watchers or people attracted to the large animals. So, so these including uh, better education to the stakeholders, to the general public, to frequent marine area users, to how to be. Uh, correctly respond to the appearance of uh, animals such like these and so that's why we also uh, in- encourage and recommend the government to set up a better and update the color conduct for whale, uh, dolphin watching at this moment mm-hmm. that could be also adapted to whales and large marine animals so that they could um, people can know what to do when they encounter or they know about appearance of these Attractive animals,
2: mm-hmm. David. I have a question. So I, I live uh, right at this water body uh, port shelter, and at night time when the uh, police vessels uh, move about, I can feel the vibration. I can hear the uh, uh, the rumble of that these these big engines. Um, and then when you lower the uh, at the water body, there is uh, you know in the daytime there is jet skis. There is all kind of uh, of sounds. And I was wondering whether this this water. Body and all the noises that are being created uh, is really distracting for uh, for uh, a whale, and can the whale find his way back when all of that noise goes on, or is it creating, or or does it distressing the animal and it can't get out?
4: Yeah, great question. I, I think um, most people have difficulty realizing that noise is a form of pollution in nature, and our our local water bodies are polluted with noise for sure. Um, If you've ever been diving, when a container ship passes by within a kilometer, you can hear the churning of the prop and the roar of the engine. Um, It's not a quiet sound. And for animals that are navigating through the sea and communicating with each other through sound, um, it can be a strong deterrent or it can, as you say, even confuse them to the point that they get lost or get stranded. It's it's then.
2: Yeah, I was going to say. I wanted to do do a follow up question. And if that's the case, to safeguard the whale, would you just have to shut down traffic in port shelter for a number of days, or is is Hmm. that uh, that an uh, an infeasible because you don't know how long it's going to hang about?
4: Yeah, I I I don't think that is really feasible from a from a practical point of view. Right, shipping must continue. Um, We can't shut down the economy to accommodate a a large marine mammal. But there are plenty of examples internationally that we can refer to. Um, You know, shipping lanes in the North Atlantic, for example, have been terribly problematic for the critically endangered North Atlantic right whale. And every whale that's been hit by a container ship and dies is, is pushing the species closer and closer to extinction. And nowadays, there are a lot of technologies that can be deployed to help avoid that conflict. So, for example, if a whale is spotted in a shipping lane, then the ships have to divert their routes so they don't strike it. Um, there are interesting technologies being developed to to form uh, sound curtains. So that actually would be almost like a warning system to cetaceans that the area is uh, is a danger to them. Um, Now, some of those technologies are yet unproven, but at least there are people working on this, and Hong Kong might be wise to look overseas for some similar types of examples for how we might manage our local environment
2: so so in case there is a whale about uh, in Port shelter the government could declare certain exclusion zones which they have the ability to do quite easily under the marine department regulations but um, and then and then leave only a section for the waters to be used for people to go out to the beaches and and uh, and move the boats up and down would that be a type of solution
4: yes Paul I think that I think that's the first priority for for mitigating this in the future, right, is to establish and enforce uh, buffer zones around these animals. I mean, people should be able to go out and see them and enjoy them, but from a distance. And they shouldn't interfere at all with their natural behaviors. Um, and this way, we can avoid the, the boat strikes that may have led to this animal's unfortunate demise. So uh, that's not hard to think about in practice, but the enforcement side Uh, is what I think Hong
2: Kong is is currently lacking. Okay, Okay. but it doesn't have to be too difficult to enforce. (laughs) Uh, You know, we have both. I can see from my window how many boats, the police, how many boats are in the port shelter to make sure that uh, that there's no illegal trafficking going on here. So uh, I don't think it it has to be that difficult. All
1: right, right. I just wanna go, uh, um, just, okay, just continue, continue, (laughs) Professor Baker.
4: Uh, yeah I, I just want to follow up with, uh, with paul's comment there because um i think it's an interesting opportunity to reflect on a on what i see as a larger gap for enforcement in hong kong um, and i you know i have many friends in afcd we've had a very good relationship with afcd over the years um, and i i've come to be aware that they're pretty critically underfunded for especially enforcement actions And moreover, my understanding is that AFCD doesn't have the authority to make arrests or to even use force in the case of wildlife crime. And at the same time, there's a propensity for for the police, whether they've been marine police or the regular police, that um, all wildlife-related matters are referred to AFCD. So Mm -hmm. we have a little bit of a a mismatch here. There's a gap uh, in terms of wildlife or nature-based crimes or even domestic animal abuse animal welfare and you could even extend that that sphere to anti-pandemic related um, controls where we we don't have a, a special unit with the powers to arrest with the powers to use force that are protecting nature and I think that's a real opportunity for Hong Kong to fill that gap I think there are interesting angles for national security that can be involved too because some wildlife is being smuggled across borders in violation of trade agreements. So um, there, there's a lot of potential there, I think, that, that dovetails with a lot of local government agenda. Mm.
1: All right. I, I just want to go back to uh, what uh, Dr. Howe was talking about earlier, about uh, the need for uh, better guidelines for marine animal watching. Uh, Dr. Howe, um, there are existing uh, guidelines for this right now. Can, can you tell us a bit about that? Mm. So, actually,
3: for Hong Kong, AFCD has set up a uh, document of code of conduct for dolphin watching activities. So, it's kind of uh, letting people know, it's mostly uh, targeting on the dolphin watching activities on uh, Chinese white dolphin. So, it's kind of about the uh, 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 guidelines like the, the boats have to be uh, moving slowly and not to uh, go backwards, not to reverse the boat when they see the dolphins, and how many, uh, like the keeping a certain distance between the the group of dolphins or dolphin individuals, so that it actually um, is targeting on a specific um, species, and so then uh, through this. Um, Incidents, so we can see that there is a need, and, and we can see that there are, could be more and different species of whales and dolphins can uh, uh, visit Hong Kong. Therefore, we would like to encourage the government to update it and review the current version of the code of conduct to include more uh, uh, species of uh, uh, or groups of. Large, large marine animals so of course we do know that like for uh, there is no single approach that could be adapted to uh, all the species or all the animal groups therefore we also recommend the government to consult uh, more uh, experts in the field or uh, through uh, other experience of other places, other countries to have set up a, a comprehensive set of uh, uh, whale-watching, dolphin-watching guidelines, for example. But like those Canada, are guidelines. Like. Yes. Those are
2: guidelines, yeah. so people can ignore them. I mean, but what's going on at Northland Tower, uh, mm. where we have, uh, you know, dolphin watching? Mm. I mean, are those guidelines uh, effective? Are people sticking to them, or um, we basically are they uh, are they on paper and nobody has has any regards for them?
3: Mm. Based on our uh, latest uh, uh, observation, like uh, then in the Northland Tower, especially the dolphin watching industry, the yeah, it, there is a big room of improvements for the for the. Uh, uh, um,
2: That's a nice way of expressing you know, it,
3: isn't it? it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so for for such an incident like this time, like uh, certain appearance of uh, whales and animals, that we really want the government to have really uh, timely uh, and also the, uh, coordinated amount uh, departments for example like AFcd just everybody mentioned and or even marine police and the marine department whether they can have uh interdepartmental actions that can help to keep the keep people from a distance uh, between the between the marine animals and the and the like water sports and boats whatever yeah that could be a, a more um realistic or practical way for mm-hmm. them to, to uh, do a surveillance or monitoring around that because the only
2: Because the only one that has the equipment on the water is the police. The Marine Police is the only department in Hong Kong that has actually the the, the vessels and the manpower on to uh, to keep an eye on what goes on onto the water. And they have not just boats, they got uh, drones, they, they got all kind of equipment. Correct. So they, they should be the ones that should use their manpower and their equipment uh, to support uh, the marine department and the afcd isn't it in these kind of situations i mean it's a coordination issue it's not a lack of manpower not a lack of equipment not a lack of laws it's it's a lack of coordination
4: correct and i think and i think that's where empowering a special unit of the police where the purview is the protection of our natural resources is is one potential solution um, and the other, the other thing that I, I want to reiterate from Dr. Howe is that we have a long way to go in terms of marine protection. And increasing our, our MPAs, our marine protected areas, is another very effective mechanism for enforcing some of these rules. Because, for example, currently we have only 5% of our local waters protected, and those areas are patrolled regularly by AFCD. And that's really where they're focusing a lot of their attention. But as we've seen with the whale, many animals, many large marine mammals especially, don't know the boundaries of marine protected areas. They can't read a map, and they don't have a map, right? So we have to expand those areas so that they can encompass more of the natural range for some of these species that we wish to protect. Uh, And that's why the goal of increasing from the very low number of 5% to something around 30% is what uh, we'd like to see happen.
2: So what would that mean? That means that the whole of Port Shelter, the whole of Tolo Harbour would be considered a marine protected area, and um, uh, the areas around Soko Islands and so on. And and do you see that you can get support from the government and from the community now that uh, we've had this uh, this situation with the whale that has caught everybody's attention?
4: Well, I I know, Paul, you're aware of of the Hong Kong Marine Protection Alliance This is a group of individuals, I'm a member of it as well, uh, who have come together from various sectors of society to make such recommendations. And currently we are working with government at various levels and talking with different stakeholders about how we might actually achieve uh, an increase in these MPAs throughout Hong Kong. Uh, And I think some of those areas you mentioned are indeed um, part of those recommendations that we can uh, help government implement as quickly as possible
2: and that means uh, tourism attraction does that means uh, i mean it means you you win and lose so you lose on the fishing but you win on tourists going out on boats is it i mean can you tell us a little bit more about this plan
4: well well i think that's exactly one potential economic benefit um, for those of us who spend a lot of time out on the water and diving we know that the hong kong fisheries are depleted and they're recovering thanks to improved regulations, but they are very depleted after, you know, centuries of of world famous fisheries production. So we have a, a really literally a blank canvas at sea that if we just let nature be nature, if we leave it alone, it will recover and it will return to somewhere closer to its former glory. And that can have additional economic benefits that may not involve extractive practices like fishing. But can involve ecotourism. And I know there's a concerted effort from the government side to re educate and train uh, former fishermen to have alternative um, careers, to have alternative sources of revenue. And ecotourism is certainly one of the most logical uh, avenues in that regard. And the other thing that's positive is that there's been a tremendous increase in water quality around Hong Kong thanks to. For example, the HATS uh, harbour area treatment scheme to remove a lot of sewage from the marine environment. And then also the trawling ban has had good impacts on improving the water clarity. So nowadays people can see more of the marine life that's out there, whereas previously we just couldn't see it because the water was very turbid.
2: So Lobby, I mean, we've seen a lot of uh, action. I mean, again, uh, port shelter right under the window. Um, You know, what happens on the weekend is just... Incredible! The amount of people on the water these days uh, sub sup, uh, supping, or uh, you know, jet skiing, or swimming, or learning how to scuba dive—the amount of people on the water in song Kung has, has, with with COVID, uh, massively exploded. Is is there a real opportunity for tying these two things together—the uh, marine protection and tourism and and uh, recreation? Mm,
3: yeah, that's a great great idea, and we do think it's a Good opportunities, as you said, like many people during COVID, they are, re- are going to Hong Kong and uh, marine environment and enjoyed it with different ways, like surfing, marine, uh, diving. They, uh, people started to, to more recognize the beauty and the hmm. diversity and the Good environment of marine uh, spaces in Hong Kong, and yeah, that's a good way. Like as uh, Dr. Baker mentioned, that could also create a great. Uh, um, economic way, incentive. It'll be a great way to to uh, let people love Hong Kong's environment and oh. the marine space. All right, a so uh, uh, for a break as yes. we go into the news. All right,
1: Dr. Howe, we have to take a short news mm. break. Uh, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Lobby Howe, Assistant Manager of Ocean Sustainability at WWF Hong Kong. And uh, Professor Baker will continue our discussion afterwards in around uh, two minutes time when we will be joined by Tyson Chang, Chairman of the Hong Kong Dolphin Conservation Society. Now, if you want to ask our guest's questions or share your views on today's topics you can leave a message on our Facebook page backchat on RTHK radio 3 email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 2338266 and uh, here's a quick look at the weather mainly fine very hot during the day with a top temperature of around 34 degrees in the urban areas right now it's 30 degrees and uh, the relative humidity is at 70 <music> percent It's now 9.30. With a new summary, here's Stu Pryke.
0: An employers group has questioned why the fee to hire an Indonesian helper will rise by up to $5,000. Betty Young, chairman of the Hong Kong Employers of Overseas Domestic Helpers Association, was commenting after visiting union representatives from Indonesia and said employers must abide by Jakarta's rules and pay any fees levied on new helpers, which would amount to around one month's salary. The Centre for Health Protection says it's investigating a confirmed monkeypox case involving a 31-year-old man with an underlying illness. The man is now in a stable condition in Princess Margaret Hospital. And a gunman who killed 11 people at a synagogue in the US city of Pittsburgh has been sentenced to death. Seven other people, including five police officers, were injured in the shooting in 2018. It's the first federal death sentence imposed under the Biden administration. That's the news from RTHK. Red light, don't walk. Red line, don't go. Red flag, don't swim.
4: When a red flag is hoisted at beaches, it can mean rough seas. Bad weather, a red tide, water pollution, or other dangers. Please don't swim during these conditions.
1: Wait until the red flag is removed and a red and yellow flag is hoisted. Also, parents must take care of their children at swimming pools and beaches.
0: Learn the beach flag signals. Swim safely. The bank wants me to
5: click this link to confirm a transfer.
1: A government department called and says I've broken the law. It asked me to click this link to enter login details. A new payee in my bank account? Do I need to click this link to check?
0: Banks will never ask you to log into your internet banking account or provide personal information through links in SMS messages or email. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority reminds you, protect your personal digital keys. Beware of fraudulent links.
1: Welcome back, this is Backchat on a Thursday morning with Paul Zimmerman and me, Janice Wong. And uh, so far we've been discussing the uh, tragic end to a rare visit from a baleen whale to the seas around Sai Kung and if anything can be done to save other whales from a similar fate in the future. Still with us on the program is uh, David Baker, Associate Professor of the University of Hong Kong School of Biological Sciences. And uh, joining us now is Tyson Chang, Marine Biologist and Chairman of the Hong Kong Dolphin Conservation Society. Good morning, Mr. Chang. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the programme. So, um, before the news, we were talking about uh, um, how we, what well, different ways of uh, preventing a uh, similar tragedy from happening in future, and some suggestions were um, having better guidelines on uh, whale watching. Um, what suggestions do you have on how we can prevent uh, another tragedy like this from happening?
6: Yeah, it certainly is a very depressing news, depressing incident uh, that we hear recently. And we still think the government department, like AFCD, should have responded quicker to the incident and looked for active ways to reduce the number of boats and also like disturbances around the whale during the incident. So uh, we think the government department should now uh, step up to try to find ways uh, to prepare like emergency plans to to get themselves prepared for similar incidents in the future and also it's very important for the government department to step up to educate and raise the awareness of the general public and also including all boat drivers in hong kong like how uh do what we should do and how we should react uh to similar incidents
2: do you see how um this is an opportunity as well I mean the to uh, you know Hong Kong ha- is is happy Hong Kong and hello Hong Kong we're looking at, at attracting more people that to uh, to enjoy the, uh, the the great the great natures of Hong Kong uh, whether it's the land or the water do you see an opportunity here that we're gonna attract more people to come and visit Hong Kong
6: yeah uh, we, we don't really uh, see that like like for whales like they are not really uh, they cannot really adapt to shallow waters like Hong Kong. I mean, in Hong Kong, we have Chinese white dolphins and venous purposes that we always promote their existence. And also, we do a lot of like dolphin-watching trips to educate the public in Hong Kong about their biology, their ecology. But for whales, unfortunately, they are not really native to Hong Kong. And, I mean, to be honest, the shallow waters are it's not really suitable for them to stay long uh, in the long term in Hong Kong. So uh, especially in uh, in Hong Kong waters, there is like heavy marine traffic that is uh, especially dangerous for them ex- uh, because like for a large whale, like the breed whale uh, in this incident, uh, they're large and they do not have a lot of area or room to avoid the marine traffic uh, in our waters. So that's why in the very beginning, uh, including uh, groups like us, and other, a lot of other groups are suggesting, oh, we should ask, the uh, government department should ask the whale watchers around the whales to avoid the area and try to, you know, decrease, reduce the disturbances to the whales so that the whales have the chance to, you know, uh, escape our Hong Kong waters that is quite dangerous for them
2: and you, that's what a whale would do the whale would go away, the water's go quiet or uh, it's easier for them to find uh, a way out or we,
6: we cannot say 100%, 100% we are not really certain about that but at least if we reduce the disturbances around the whale there was still a higher chance for the whale to try to find the way uh, find its way out uh, to to leave Hong Kong waters,
1: and uh, government departments did ask uh, the public to stay away from the whale, um, but it's just that uh, many people didn't listen.
6: Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I, I mean, I, I, we can see that the government department have spent some effort and uh, to to try to ask the public not to go out, but it is uh, certainly not in the very beginning of the incident. Like they have done that in the beginning, but. Uh, you can see the development in the whole development of the incident they put more effort in the latter part of the incident And so, um, so you're especially slow to respond after uh, Ocean Park Hong Kong has released a photo that to show that the whale is injured and we think the, the most important thing now is to try to reveal what uh, what they can do to educate and raise awareness of the public and also to reveal the existing legislation, whether they are, whether they are enough to protect all the marine mammals, uh, including whales and dolphins that are uh, present in Hong Kong waters. Right.
1: And in commenting on this uh, incident, uh, the Ecology Minister, Jia chin he he said uh, the AFCD, the Agriculture, Fisheries and Conservation Department, um, they, they might consider um, giving it more immediate power to uh, manage people who um, go whale watching or, or dolphin watching. Um, what do you think of that suggestion? I mean, what extra power do you think is necessary for the AFCD?
2: Um
6: i mean uh especially for the the code of conduct for the watching in hong kong right currently it is not it does not have any you know uh legislation uh power like mm-hmm. if you violate the code of conduct no one will be fined or or uh, prosecuted so therefore we we do think that uh maybe we we can consider make the code of conduct for the watching or watching in general a, a law in Hong Kong so that they can have the power to, if they observe any, you know, uh, behavior or action that violates uh, the code of conduct for uh, whale or dolphin watching in Hong Kong, they have the power to, you know, find somebody who, who uh, may have the chance to injure or uh, or hurt any dolphins or whales in Hong Kong. Well, that's, I-, I think that's uh, the next that they can consider
1: okay what about the role of the wild animals protection ordinance
6: yeah that's a good point too, because like for that ordinance it there is a very difficult bar set to to you know provide uh you know uh, evidence to to uh charge anyone because like you you if you look at the details of the ordinance you have to uh, get the evidence to prove that somebody has has the intention, like to to hurt or to to uh, damage uh, any animals or, or or the environment. So, uh, for some terms like this is kind of uh, objective. So it's kind of difficult to for the government departments, especially uh, when some of the staff. From the ASCD or different government departments, not really familiar with the audience, ordinance, it's very difficult for them mm-hmm. to use this ordinance to to you know prosecute anybody
1: right. and for for those of us who, who are not familiar with this a wild animals protection ordinance um basically o- offenders are liable to one year's imprisonment and a fine of uh, one hundred thousand dollars upon conviction for irresponsible uh, whale watching behavior um now now professor baker you're, you're still here with us yes I'm yes here. professor baker what do you think of uh, some of uh, these uh mr chang's uh, suggestions about introducing maybe new penalties for example
4: I think that's necessary. I mean, there has to be um, a real deterrent and we need the legal framework to define that. Uh, and at the same time, there needs to be enforcement. So, you know, for instance, um, you talk about the the wild animals protection ordinance. You know, it is it is illegal for anyone uh, to harm any animal in our landscape. So that includes everything from wild boar to a pigeon. Um, you can't. Uh, by law you are forbidden from causing harm to those animals and in the sea we don't see the same level of oversight or protection for a lot of the organisms we have in the ocean and this is kind of emblematic of the gap that we also have in terms of the land and the sea protection so forty percent of our land is protected just five percent of our sea is protected so these are kind of like big gaps I see in in, in how we legislate and how we enforce and manage our marine, our marine and terrestrial resources. We should really look closely to how we have protected our country parks and all of the biodiversity within them and apply those same standards to the oceans.
2: So, so what are we uh, going to do? I mean, what are the gr- groups going to do uh, to kind of use this sad opportunity to see that changes are going to be made?
4: Yeah, I think we just have to, we have to use this opportunity to have a dialogue. Um, I think actually a lot of the, the words that are coming from the government um, are being somewhat truthful. I think the government responded as quickly as they could, um, but that doesn't mean that they can't perform better. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to all work together about creative solutions uh, towards a better future. And I think that, you know, we talked earlier about ecotourism. Um, and a lot of these ideas are, are not incongruent with the northern metropolis development, which which wants to see the eastern side of Hong Kong become an ecotourism destination. And so in advance of that, now is the time to have the conversation about how we can improve the usage of those marine resources so that we don't harm our biodiversity. I mean, imagine if that whale was still swimming around and we had a, if we had a regulated and enforced whale watching operation, people could still be making money and people could still be enjoying the presence of that majestic animal without causing it harm.
2: They didn't want to do it harm, I mean, so to what extent can we also rely on people to, uh, to act more responsibly without having uh, the, the law at their, uh, at their neck?
4: Yeah, I think that also pertains to education. And, you know, for example, having a regulated whale watching, let's say certification or licensing, Hmm. uh, that would give the opportunity for both the government and um, other stakeholders to help train these operators so that they understand not only the whale's biology and and its behavior, but also best practices for operating their vessels safely and giving their their clients the best experience that they can.
2: Is, Is that realistic, Tyson?
6: yeah that's uh realistic also because we can see that's one of the practices in for example in taiwan they have they they don't really have a licensing uh measure but they they put labels on good behaving uh we're watching uh operators so that makes uh for example the public in taiwan or even tourists going to taiwan the life if they want to go to on any dope, uh, whale watching trip, they make their life much easier because they know how to choose a responsible operator.
1: All right. And uh, Professor Baker, the, the government is uh, now considering uh, preserving the body of the whale uh, found uh, in Sai Kung um, as, a spe- as a specimen for, for scientific and educational purposes. Uh, what do you think uh, we can learn from, from that? I mean, how can we use that to educate the public, for example?
6: Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a very little chance for the public in Hong Kong to see a whale, so that that drive the curiosity of Hong Kong people. Why we, when the, there is a whale, like why everyone rush to see the whale. So, I mean, uh, the, the carcasses of or, or the skeleton of the whales can can hmm. do a really good education purpose that can show how a whale. First of all, how a whale looks like and what the the biology of the whale uh, is and also we can if there's some some injuries on the whale carcasses about to show human disturbances on our wild animals and on our marine organisms that's a very good Hmm. education material to teach our next generation about like how so, what, what kind of uh, threats they are facing in Hong in Hong Kong waters, or even in global waters? And also, that's a a very good uh, materials to, to teach them, like uh, in general, like uh, what kind uh, what kind of problem they're facing uh, in the future, and what we can do to improve our
1: marine environment. Mm-hmm. You're right, and, and Professor Baker.
4: Uh, I, I totally agree. I think that uh, we can turn this tragedy into an opportunity for education. Um, even the preservation of the whale skeleton is a world-renowned attraction. You know, we, in some of the best museums on, on the planet, we have representatives of whales in, in terms of their skeletons, which allow the public to really just appreciate their majesty, their size, um, and how impressive they are. And I think there's a great opportunity here to, to leverage this whale sacrifice to enhance education. We know from the Swire Institute of Marine Science, where we have a small whale skeleton in the Cape de Marine Reserve, that it's a major uh, tourist destination for our public. We have hundreds of thousands of people hiking to the tip of the peninsula to take a photo with what they call Miss Willie. Um, and I, I think that's a testament to how we can
2: turn a tragedy into some sort of educational benefit. So would you see the skeleton to, uh, to join that uh, uh, the Mr. or Mrs. Willie.
4: Well, that could be one opportunity we can talk about. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so that's turned us into a, an opportunity for, uh, for improving marine protection in Hong Kong. And, uh, so the Marine Protection Alliance is, is going to ver- be very active on this then?
4: yes um the marine protection alliance is is working very hard um talking with a lot of stakeholders as i mentioned earlier and government officials Um, we want to work hand in hand with everyone to achieve a brighter future and um, i think this is a new chapter for conservation in hong kong it's not about antagonism it's about partnerships we're here to support and work with all stakeholders to achieve a better future for our marine environment and i think in the first instance we have to look really at our marine spatial planning and try to improve the extent of our marine protected areas.
1: Okay. All right, uh, Professor Baker, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's uh, David Baker, Associate Professor of the University of Hong Kong School of Biological Sciences. Many thanks also to Tyson Chang, Marine Biologist and Chairman of the Hong Kong Dolphin Conservation Society. It's now 9.48, and in a moment, we'll get a reaction from a cybersecurity expert on the significant drop in email phishing cases. What does it mean?
2: Different types of phishing 95 years of public
1: service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, RDHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day.
0: 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 stay, years. Tuned stay, tuned stay tuned with Hong Kong. With Hong Kong.
2: You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 266 and have your say.
1: A total of 71 email phishing cases were logged in the first five months of this year, a 54.2% drop compared with the same period last year. But the police warn that more public cybersecurity awareness is still needed. To comment on this, we're joined on the line now by Michael Gaisley, Managing Director of Network Box Corporation. Good morning, Mr. Gaisley. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so, uh, what do you uh, make of this uh, fall in email phishing cases? I mean, are people better at spotting these phishing emails now, or, or are the uh, type of security uh, cyber attacks changing?
5: Well, I think that um, this is the number of cases that have actually been reported to the police. Mm. And if you look at the amount of money involved, you can see why. I mean, you know, it's, it's quite eye-watering the amount of Indeed. money that's been lost. Um, and a lot of these are actually nicknamed uh friday afternoon fraud. Uh basically uh the, the the hackers are quite clever. They they you know typically will try and get the accounts department to pay into the wrong bank account just as they're leaving work on friday looking forward to a, you know having a drink with their friends or, or whatever. Um and that that's the kind of particular fraud that we're talking about. Um
2: So ain't targeting corporates is that where their weaknesses are or is it uh, is it People, individuals who uh, who who can't read the emails properly and start clicking them the wrong ones.
5: Well, I think in this case they're talking about corporate um, fraud because you're talking about a lot of money uh, coming out of a company going into the wrong place. You know, Uh, they're they're sending it to a bank account that sounds like uh, somebody that they're dealing with, as opposed to individual fraud where. That That seems to be more aligned with social engineering, where some non-existent man or woman is 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 you know conning somebody to pay their life savings into into the account of somebody they've never met um, i mean they you know they they're both uh, horrible things um they both involve a lot of money, but I think in this case they are targeting companies
2: so the people so everybody's getting smarter about this whole cyber threat i mean that the cases are dropping.
5: Um, Despite no, eye-watering amounts, I mean, we, in, in Network Box, I often you know, meet with companies that have already been victims, and there's quite a number where they've lost millions of dollars, but they don't report it to the police at all because the company is quite wealthy and they don't want the bad publicity of looking foolish or untrustworthy. And uh, so I'm, I, I don't think the police get all the information uh, anyway. Um, but, but also in this case, you know, you're talking 71 reports um, compared with the hundreds of thousands of such males that are flying around all the time. Um, that seems a very small number that's reported versus even in our company, you know, what we see is, is legion. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it's frightening. But, but even more frightening is part of this report uh, from the police. They're talking about having run a campaign where they're trying to trick, um, you know, people that work in, in various companies to click on links that they shouldn't click on. But we now live in a world where there are actually zero-click exploits. So it's possible to actually uh, attack and, and hack somebody without them clicking on anything, so. zero-click
2: you know, exploit, can you explain that? I mean, so what do I have to be worried about now?
5: Well, you, you, could, you could just receive on your mobile a missed call. Um, or you could be sent something which you don't click on and due to a flaw or a vulnerability in, in the software on your phone or on your desktop or laptop computer um, you can actually be compromised without you touching anything. You know? and, and then even more frightening than that is the cybersecurity devices that are used around the world. Um, many of them, almost all of them, have flaws that are unpatched and that that basically means that uh, you know you, you can think that you 've got a firewall that 's functioning and protecting you, but actually that can be compromised in a matter of seconds itself so it 's not just the public or the normal uh, uh, you know company user or, or member of staff that uh, is, is vulnerable and can be blamed, but a lot of i t management in hong kong um, and, and interestingly. You can see from the police report that when they're trying to fish, um, they're getting sort of a 61.5% success rate of getting somebody in a company to click something. Um, And actually, we're also seeing that um, if you take a typical vulnerability in a cybersecurity piece of equipment, um, typically about 60-odd percent of those are not patched, and therefore they're also vulnerable. And then on top, you've got the zero click where no one has to click anything um so the cybersecurity security landscape you know the threat landscape is getting worse every day
2: so what, com- what can companies do and what can individuals do
5: well um not not sort of trying to to blow our own trumpet as it were well, I mean, like, we, we are <laughs> patching you? things for our clients about uh-huh. every three or four seconds and i find it astonishing that you can have the entire singapore medical records for every single singapore citizen taken and then when it's investigated, in Singapore it's found that they haven't patched their, I mean, this is government level, haven't patched for more than a year. Okay. I mean, it's absurd. Um, so keeping your software up day
2: to date, patches is keeping your software up to date, and that's what an individual can do? And now how can I, is, is there a certain software that people can install on their computers or on the phone to help them with that?
5: Um, I, I, I think that in a company, um, it, it really is, I mean, it's, it's important what the police are doing to educate users. I mean, that, that is important. But it's not the only thing. It's like a jigsaw puzzle where you have various pieces of the jigsaw and you need to put them together. And, and I think in Hong Kong it's particularly worrying because we can see that at any given time at least 60 70% of these patches that should have been put in are not put in and then you know if you look at various brands and various software systems and platforms and operating systems and so on it gets to a point where getting into a company is just trivial and uh, that that has to change and in fact um, much as it's against my thinking for for many years i'm beginning to think that there should be some law that these things have to be patched you can't just ignore it because when your company gets hacked um, your users, which is sort of people in the public, you know, they, they get impacted. It's not just your company, it's everyone you deal with, including all your customers.
2: So it's a liability issue uh, that uh, got to be falling on, on, uh, on the companies, the corporates, yes. uh, yes. to protect their own computer systems so they protect their customers.
5: Yes, I mean, I've been doing this for decades and I've got to the point where I realize, you know, to just continually explain and tell these companies that ignore the risks, um, it, it just doesn't work. Um, I think the government should step in and have some legislation.
2: Okay, so any new type of threats you see happening or on the horizon that uh, we should all be aware about? Um.
5: Well, I, I think that you see waves of different kinds of threats and obviously in, in the last couple of years, ransomware has been, you know, one of the, the real sort of killers and it comes in and not only does it blackmail you by shutting down your systems and locking the systems. but it also steals all the data and shifts it across to the hacker who may be on the other side of the world. And then they, they can threaten you by saying that they're gonna release all your company records. Um, so
2: this is really about somebody breaking into your computer system, taking your data and then, and, and then sending you yes. threats about it.
5: Yes, and once they have your data, it's not coming back. So even if you pay the ransom, how do you know they're not gonna ransom you the next day and the day after that and the day after that? Or you pay and they release it, on the dark web or even on the normal internet. You know, we're getting cases of that recently where, um, you know, companies are just having their whole uh, information sort of dumped onto the main internet that everyone can see.
2: So this is happening right now and that is a big threat that you're working on as a company or?
5: Yes, uh, and, and once again, it's just, it's hard to process because, In Hong Kong, you've got government departments, you've got banks, you've got insurance companies, you've got schools, you know, and sometimes when we can see what's happening, either on the surface web or the dark web, and we actually call them up, I mean, literally, I've called up uh, chairman and managing directors and so on, and told them, Look, this is happening at your organization.
2: Because you saw it on the dark web. And they so don't you, want you're to know. cruising around the dark web and you find Hong Kong companies' data uh, just kind of laying, laying around?
5: Yes. I mean, I mean we're, we're talking huge swathes of data. I mean, it's not. It's not just, uh, you know, a bit here and a bit there. I mean, well, you've got an interesting and of course, job, but, Michael. I mean, it's not just Hong Kong. I mean, it's, it's a problem worldwide, but okay. specifically in Hong Kong, because we're all in Hong Kong, I'd, I'd love to see, uh, you know, we all take this more seriously.
2: Okay, well, I'm going to check my phone and my computers where I got my latest update <laughs> on security software. Thanks, Michael. Yeah.
1: All right, uh, Mr. Gaisley, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks sure. again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Michael Gaisley, Managing Director of Network Box Corporation. Many thanks also to you who commented or email us today and to our guest presenter Paul Zimmerman and producer Raphael. Danny Gittings and Mike Krause will be here tomorrow to bring you another episode of Back Chat.